Good morning. I would ask you to start, whether you're here in the sanctuary or whether you're in the gym, to take out your Bibles or your electronic device, or if you have neither of those, you can take out your worship folder and turn to Matthew chapter 10, verses 26 through 33. Matthew 10, 26 through 33. I want you to follow along while I read, and then keep your Bible open as we look into God's Word together. You will get more out of it that way. Matthew 10, 26 through 33. Please, here in the sanctuary and in the gym, stand for the reading of God's Word. So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the day, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not a one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you who are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny my Father who is in heaven. Let's pray. Lord God, I come to you this morning, and first I want to pray that I, your servant, would accurately communicate the truth of your word, and that I would help people apply it. I pray for those who are gathered here. Pour out your Holy Spirit upon them. May your word be spiritual food to them. May it make a difference in their attitudes their affections, and their actions as a result of hearing from you this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Why are Americans among the world leaders in sleep deprivation? A global survey conducted by the Phillips Center for Health and Well-Being said that we are in the top three along with France and Taiwan. Now, there are other nations who are high on that list. Brazil would be an example. But Brazilians are losing sleep because they're having a good time. Brazilians normally go out to eat with their families, get that, with their families, children in tow, at 10 o'clock at night. And then they get up to go to work the next day. Sadly, Americans are sleep-deprived mainly because we are too worried and stressed out. Worry takes its toll on our physical, emotional, and spiritual health. It affects our relationships with God and people. Ed Welch, the author of a book called Running Scared, who teaches biblical counseling, said this, Fear and worry run deep in us all. He's talking about Christians. Fear and worry have meaning. They say something. 
In Matthew 6, 25 through 34, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus speaks out against worry six times in ten verses. There's many other places in the Bible that address worry, fear, and anxiety. Now this morning, we want to ask two questions about worry. Listen to them. You may want to write them down. The first is this. What do these worries say about what you trust in? The second question is this. What do these worries say about what you love? Now, I have two preliminary comments. In our text today, we see the word fear. We will speak about worry, fear, and anxiety interchangeably. Yes, there's some differences in the meanings of those words, but there's also a lot of similarities, especially when it comes to what the Bible has to say about them. Worry, fear, and anxiety interchangeably. The second thing is this. I do not want to break any bruised reeds. That's not a term we use, but it's a term that's used twice in the Bible, once in Matthew 12 and once in Isaiah 42. It refers to Jesus, and it indicates that God's chosen servant, Jesus Christ, will bring justice to the world. He will set right what is wrong, but he will do it in a way that will not crush those who are weak. You see, I understand this morning that some of you are more given to worry than others. And if I were simply up to stand up here this morning and say, don't worry, it's a sin, stop doing it, that wouldn't be very helpful to you. In fact, it could produce a whole new worry about worrying. I've been there. Now, John Flavel, who Rick Mosteller mentioned last week as one of his favorite Christian authors, lived in the 1600s. He was a Presbyterian pastor, and there's a book listed in your worship folder at the end, which I found very helpful on this topic. And what I found helpful reading these dead old guys on on this topic of worry is that they recognized even back then, without modern psychology, that some people are more wired for worry. That whether it be because of temperament or whether it be something else related to the way their brain is wired, they recognize that some people are more given to worry and anxiety than other people. They recognize what today we would call in some cases mental illness. But even then, John Flavel, when he talks about fear, worry, and anxiety, says, yes, some people are wired this way, but it's an opportunity for God to minister to you. Do not let your worry become sinful. So the big idea that I have for you this morning is that God's saving work is the antidote for worry. And in our text, we see four certainties that can shed light on the uncertainty of worry, fear, and anxiety. Because ultimately, that's what worry is. Thinking about things that to us appear to be uncertain in the future. 
Let's look here. The first certainty is this. The truth will be clear. Verses 26 and 27. Now let me give you a little context here in the book of Matthew where this fits. At the very beginning in the first four chapters we have an introduction which talks about the early events in Jesus' life. His birth and what follows. Then in chapters 5 through 9 the focus is on the kingdom of heaven What does it look like when God rules the way he should rule? Then in the section that we're in today, at the beginning of that section, in chapters 10 through 12, Jesus begins to teach about opposition to that kingdom, his kingdom. So look what it says. We have an instruction right at the beginning. In verse 26, it says, Have no fear. A clear instruction. Do you know what the most frequent command in the Bible is? Do not fear. It occurs somewhere over 300 times. Rick Warren, who wrote The Purpose Driven Life, by his count it occurs 365 times. One time for every day of the year. So you see, God does not want us to worry. Worry is a sin. But Ed Welch helpfully says this. He says, is it worry, is it wrong to worry? Is it wrong to worry? And he says, a better question to ask would be this. When I worry, will I trust God? See, that's the question before you this morning. Don't focus on, is it wrong to worry? You're going to worry. When you worry, will you trust God? You see, the Bible records both judicial warnings, that's the laying down of the law, so to speak, but many warnings in the Bible are more parental encouragement. A a parent's most important job is to influence children towards God. That's what this type of warning is here this morning. Do not fear is a parental encouragement. God, the good Father, through His Son, Jesus Christ, wants to turn these disciples who are hearing this towards Him. Now look at what it says. It says, have no fear of them. Well, who is the them here? Look at the beginning of the verse. In my translation, we have a connecting word. So, when you see those connecting words in the Bible, so, and, therefore, you should ask the question, what goes before? So what goes before here? What's in front of the so? Here's what's in front of the so. At the beginning of chapter 10, In verses 1 through 4, we have a record of Jesus' commissioning of the disciples, and it identifies who those disciples are. Then in verses 5, Jesus sends them out. In verse 7, we see what they're supposed to talk about. They're supposed to talk about the fact that the kingdom of heaven is near, that Jesus is going to start ruling. In verses 16 through 23, Jesus warns them. He says, when you go out and proclaim that message, you are going to be persecuted. 
and, and this is the big one, you may even die. In verse 24, Jesus says this, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. When they heard that, they had a very clear picture in their culture. A disciple attached themselves to a teacher for the specific purpose of becoming as much like that teacher as they could. And Jesus is saying, if you want to become like me, You've attached yourself to me. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. Don't expect any less. So Jesus says, do not fear them. Guess what? Those 12 disciples had good reason to be worried at that point as Jesus was sending them out on this mission. Now, let me say this. This passage is particularly concerned about worrying about persecution. And we need to start here and not jump to how does it apply to all our worries today. We will get there. But what did these disciples hear? Well, what they heard was encouragement not to fear, grounded in reality. People will oppose you. They will say that what I am not saying is not true, but you are standing on solid ground. Look at the second half of verse 26 and 27. For nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. What we have there is a lot of repetition. A lot of things said more than once. When the Bible does that, it's trying to emphasize something. Jesus is trying to drive the point home. First of all, and we don't see this in our translations, but that second half of verse 26, that's in the third person. Jesus is talking about the opposition. For nothing that they now don't see, eventually they'll see it. They'll see the truth about me. That, nothing that is covered, nothing that is covered will not be revealed or hidden will not be known. That word revealed there, in their language, as they heard this, that's the word we get apocalypse from. There will be a coming apocalypse. That's another word for the book of Revelation. This is all going to become clear, guys. You're on the right side. Your opposition will one day know the truth. Now, it may be too late for them, but they will. And then he tells them, he says that in light of that, you need to go out and what I've whispered to you, and what that means, that's a term of intimacy, what I have come right alongside of you and to make sure you understood it, I've said it right into your ear, what I've whispered to you, you go out and proclaim on the housetops. You see, Jesus Victory will ultimately, he's telling them, he doesn't tell them all the facts, but he, will, the, he says victory is ultimately going to be revealed. He knew it would be revealed in his resurrection from the dead. It would change the lives of those disciples. It's interesting, that list of 12, one of them we know betrayed Jesus, Judas, and committed suicide. 
Reliable church tradition says that ten of them died as martyrs. And one of them, who was probably the youngest, he was probably just a teenager, John, died in exile. The truth will be made clear. Don't fear men. We move on. Is that enough to hold on to? The second certainty in verse 28, death is not the end. We need to have an eternal perspective. Look at what it says there. And, so we have another one of those connecting words, okay? Do not fear them. The truth is going to be known. But in case that's not enough for you and you're fearing death, understand this. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Jesus is saying here, that bodily death is not a problem to worry about. Why not? Because it does not have the power to kill the soul. You see, God made us not just as bodies. There's an eternal part of us that goes on forever. Every human being has an eternal soul. And that soul will spend eternity somewhere. So Jesus, first of all, says don't worry about those who can kill the body and not the soul. Then we have another one of those connecting words there. Rather, only this time, this connecting word is there for emphatic emphasis, emphatic contrast. And what does he say? He says this. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Now let me say what destroy means there because we have some people that say that means annihilation. That that means cease to exist. That you're just vaporized. No, Jesus there is talking about eternal destruction, eternal torment that goes on forever. This is backed up in the rest of the scripture. That both soul and body will experience eternal destruction. Now, it's interesting that Jesus is saying this. I've heard many people say, well, the God of the Old Testament is a God of judgment. But the God of new, the New Testament, as we see in Jesus, is a God of love. It's interesting that Jesus tells us to fear him who can destroy the body in hell. Destroy the body and soul. Because in numerous places, Jesus is identified as that judge. He identifies himself as that judge. We see this in John 5:22, Revelation 19:11 and Revelation 20:11 through 15. So what Jesus is saying is fear God, in other words reverence God now. So you don't have to fear him in the future. Jesus is saying that death is not the end. If you're a Christian, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you believe that he died on the cross for your sins, you are going to spend eternity in heaven. 
and the greatest peril that you face has been taken care of. 2 Corinthians 4 has something good to say about that. Turn to 2 Corinthians 4, verses 16 through 18. This is Paul writing. Paul, in the context of this letter, as he wrote this, he was experiencing persecution most of Paul's life. He was in danger of losing it. He had many other things to worry, including physical afflictions. And look what he says. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction, something that he's been experiencing for years, he describes as light momentary affliction, is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Don't fear people, even if they can kill you. That's Jesus' word for the disciples. Now, what does this look like? Well, I like to read from church history. And often I read stories of martyrs, people who gave their life for Jesus Christ. This is one of those martyrs. He's probably not somebody many of you have heard of, but his name's John Bradford. He died in 1555. He was a Protestant pastor in England, an evangelical, and he was removed from his church when Queen Mary, also known as Bloody Mary, the oldest daughter of Henry VIII, came to power. And Queen Mary, after having a Protestant queen, Queen Mary was a Catholic, and she saw it as her job to drive out those Protestants. And so John Bradford was sentenced to death by burning One of the most horrible ways you could die. And as John Bradford was preparing to be burned, he turned to the young man who was to be burned with him. And here's what he said. Be of good comfort, brother. We shall have a merry supper with the Lord this night. This is a man who knew what he should fear and worry about and what he should not fear and worry about. So the question we have to ask ourselves this morning as we look at this text is, do we fear persecution or death? The reality is most of us don't in terms of death because of our faith. And as we are here this morning, we should be thankful. But remember that many people do. And we need to be prepared. This sermon could possibly be a sermon of preparation. Our culture is changing. Our culture is in general becoming more hostile to biblical Christianity. And increasingly, it may start costing us something. 
Now, I want to be careful here. I don't want to be doom and gloom. Jesus is still on the throne. Revival can happen. But we could be in for some tough times. I was listening yesterday to a podcast. It was talking about higher education. It was talking about Bowdoin College in Maine. And this is not just true there. It's true at Vanderbilt. It's true at other colleges. Many colleges are telling Christian groups that if you want to remain and exist on our campus, you have to open up the leadership of your group to any student that chooses to run for leadership, whether they believe like you do or not. And so Christian groups that are not willing to open up leadership of their group, which is against biblical principles that non-Christians would lead Christians, are being kicked off their campuses. So what we read here today could possibly be preparatory for us. We may face more persecution in the coming days. There's another application for this sermon right here and now. Two years ago, I was listening to a sermon by David Platt, who wrote the book Radical, pastor at Brook Hills Church in, it, in Birmingham, Alabama. And he was challenging pastors, and this was very sobering. What he said and what I heard was, my job as a pastor is to call you to come and die for the sake of reaching unreached people groups. Some of you here face the possibility of going to reach an unreached people group and you could die. Not just figuratively dying to self, but literally die. And you may be sitting here this morning, here in the sanctuary in the CLC, and you may sense God stirring that call up in your life. What are you worrying about this morning that's keeping you from following that call? What are you worrying about this morning that's keeping you from going and talking to Dave Bruner, our missions pastor, and saying, Dave, I feel God is possibly calling me to global impact of an unreached people group. How do I take the next step? What comfort do you find in these verses? Then finally, as far as persecution... If we do face more persecution in the future, many of the things that you worry about today, which may or may not come to pass, will probably come to pass. If we begin to face a greater degree of persecution, it is going to affect our lives in ways that we worry about now. So we need to take these verses to heart. We need to keep moving here. So the first certainty was the truth will be made clear. The second certainty was do not fear death. The third certainty is this, God's care is comprehensive. Verses 29 through 31. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Last week, Rick Mosteller preached a great sermon. I told him afterwards, brother, you set me up. He preached about God's sovereign care. If you didn't hear it, you should go back and listen to the podcast. But he quoted Romans 8.32, and here's what it says. 
It says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Arguing from the greater to the lesser, that's what Jesus is doing here. He's saying, if you don't have to fear death, why do you worry about anything else? The same God who saves us from hell so we can spend eternity with Jesus in heaven watches over each sparrow and he knows the number of hairs on your head. Think about that. The average person, depending on hair color, has around 100,000 hairs on their head. Yesterday afternoon at 2 o'clock, there's a clock you can go to online and look at this. Yesterday at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, there were 7,243,254,641 people in the world. Now, I can barely get my head around that number. Multiply that by 100,000. That goes from a 10-place number to a 15-place number. God has every one of those hairs numbered. What a comfort. This verse is something that I fight worry with, this passage. I don't have to fear death. And not only do I don't have to fear death, but God cares about the smallest details in my life. John Flavel, again, that pastor from 300 years ago, said this, that natural fear is an essential part of human nature. It's part of God's survival mechanism for us that there's an okay kind of worry, a concern about things that are important But he also was very honest. He said, natural fear quickly turns into sinful fear. Okay? You see, there is a veneer of reasonableness to any worry. We tell ourselves, I should be concerned about this for the good of my family, for the good of my job, for the good of my neighbors. But the reasonableness of any worry can quickly turn into a false front. A false front is what you see possibly in those Western movies about the frontier. But it really happened. They would have these towns and they would put a facade in front where it would look like this wonderful building and behind it, it was just this very ordinary building. Why did they do that? Because those people were moving into uncomfortable surroundings. And this made them feel comfortable. Initially, when we worry, we feel comfortable because we think we're doing something about what threatens us. You see, but God wants us to turn our worries towards him. Our worry becomes sinful when they don't. That's back to those two diagnostic questions that I asked at the beginning. 
When you worry, the question you need to ask yourself is, what is this worry saying about what I trust in? The thing that Americans worry about more than anything else that keeps them up at night more than anything else is finances. According to one poll, the thing that the rest of the world worries about more than anything else is Americans. We worry about finances. What does that say about what we trust in? The second question was this. What did these worries say about what we love? Are we worrying about the wrong things? So there's a fourth certainty we need to know about here this morning. We find that in verses 32 through 33. The certainty is this. Jesus Christ is your mediator and your advocate. So he moves through. He says, don't fear people. You're on the side of the truth. Death is not the end. Don't worry about it. God cares about you comprehensively. And then Jesus says this, So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. If you want to take possession of those first three certainties, you need to understand this fourth certainty. Jesus is your mediator. The word acknowledge means there to openly express one's allegiance. Not just allegiance to the person, but the truth about the person. Do you want to know that you don't have to fear death this morning? You need to acknowledge the truth about Jesus. The Bible says that all human beings are sinners and that sin deserves to be destroyed both body and soul in hell for forever. But to repent of our sins and believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross in your place is to acknowledge him. And it says if we acknowledge him, he will acknowledge us that Jesus will stand before the Father and profess the truth about us. He will say, this person here, my righteousness is their righteousness. It's credited to them. So today, if you're here and you're worrying, worry about the most important thing. Have you expressed your allegiance to Christ? Because know that he also says here that if you deny him, he will deny you. And what that means is that at the end, when you stand before God and God says, you sinned and I have to send you to hell, Jesus will say, I don't know this person, and I'm in no way related to them. Jesus has dealt with the thing which we should be the most worried about. That means that we can give all the rest of our worries to him. Yet I know from a practical way through my own life that God doesn't just make that happen. That often God wants to teach us things through our worries. So I've put three resources in the bulletin that you can use, especially if you're one of those people like me who worries more often than he should. 
And I'd encourage you to take a look at them. If you want to start somewhere, that book by John Flavel, it's a real small book. I like those type of books. Real small, but real deep. I want to finish with this. One more story. One more example of what Jesus is talking about here. Habalu Adamo is a 40-year-old Nigerian farmer. In November of 2012, he was captured, captured by Boko Haram. That's that militant group in Nigeria which recently kidnapped 276 primarily Christian Nigerian schoolgirls. The name Boko Haram means Western education is a sin. With his wife and son David, now age seven, looking on, four men forced their way indoors and asked whether Habilu was a member of the police force or the army. He told them he was not. Then they asked me whether I would convert to Islam, and when I refused, they asked whether I was prepared to die as a Christian. My wife was crying out, but I could not deny Christ. I felt powerful, unafraid, I don't know why. Before he could refuse a second time, a bullet pierced his neck. After being taken to the hospital and literally being given up for dead, they said to his wife, we can't do anything for this man. He recovered and was discharged two weeks later. Where does that faith come from? It comes from the antidote to fear, which is, is the gospel. It comes from the fact that we can be certain that we are on the side of the truth, that our belief in Jesus Christ fits with reality. It's not a fairy tale. That death is not the end. We don't have to worry only about the here and now. That we have something far greater in eternity. That God truly does care about us today. And finally, that it's not based on anything we ultimately have to do, but that Jesus Christ is our mediator. And we, if, if we acknowledge him, he will acknowledge us to the Father. Let's pray. Lord God, I come to you this morning. I confess that I can be a worrier. I know that there are many people here that are sitting here and they are worriers. This sermon is not the end of the discussion on the topic. We need to get into your word and see what else you have to say. But Lord, may it lay a solid foundation. When we worry, may we remember the words of Jesus here. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand for the benediction. Don't fear. Death is not the end. Jesus is your mediator. And God cares about you comprehensively. Go this week and live in light of that truth. Amen.